Good morning, Dan and Amy. Uh, know about the uh, discrimination suit filed by a handful of staffers against uh, Spalding and his running mate Stratton. Uh, this other story, though, is interesting. I mean, they're both sort of under the rubric of the left cannibalizing the left. Uh, 40th Ward, Aldermanic Ward, uh, candidate forum on Tuesday night uh, was not too friendly to incumbent alderman Pat O'Connor. No, it was not. Uh, this uh, in Edgewater, the uh, moderator, <laughs> talk about uh, walking into a bit of a buzzsaw, the moderator of the forum, one uh, writer, Rick Perlstein. Have you ever heard of him? No. Me neither. Uh, tweeted after the uh, event, now that I'm not moderator, I can immoderately report, immoderately report, that Alderman Pat O'Connor of the 40th Ward is a racist troll who's morally unfit for public office for accusing his Nigerian-American opponent of not being for the community but for Nigerians. Here's the exchange, and this is important in the context of the mayor's race, uh, which I'll explain again momentarily. Here's what uh, Alderman Pat O'Connor said. First and foremost, your comments show how little you do know about what goes on in the city of Chicago. Good day for out. In the city of Chicago, voted for that investment in the west side on the same day that they voted for that for the Obama Library on the south side. It was a historic day in the African American community. Now, if you want to talk about when you run for community, this is your fundraising invitation. It doesn't talk about community. It talks about building Nigerian power in Chicago. Now, I mean, for God's sake, if you want to talk about being part of a community and this is how you're going to raise your money, I can't understand how you expect that. Uh, his and this is about uh, him supporting the the building of the police academy, which uh, apparently the audience didn't support. No. His opponent, one of the opponents he's referencing, is a gentleman named Ugo Okeri. He's the Nigerian American. He responded to O'Connor. Alderman O'Connor, I would like you to reread what was on that what was on that flyer because what it said on that flyer was Nigerian political power. And guess what? There are different constituents, the constituencies across the city of Chicago. Every single one deserves political power. Every single one. We did not. We did not do They say that some people deserve more than others and act as if we have equal political power in the city of Chicago. No, that's not true. So, um, uh, O'Connor was a racist for suggesting that um, uh, O'Carey is. Engaged in identity politics, you know, focusing on Nigerian political power to exclusion of sort of a unified vision of community, and then O'Carey confirms that's what he was doing. Right. Uh, and uh, let me tell you something. So now O'Connor is facing the Boo Birds and the identity politics mob, and I have zero sympathy for him, just as I have zero sympathy for Spalding and Stratton, because this is the politics the left plays. And now it well, is they're eating their own. That's correct. Now it's turning on them because somebody can always intersectionality you one better. And that's what they're facing. And so all and this goes back to common. Uh, I mean, Chance the Rappers press conference this week and uh, all of the discussion by the political press corps in this city. How can we bring the city together? 
how can we bring the city together to face our challenges together, to forge solutions together? Okay, so who's going to be the black candidate? Who's going to be the Irish candidate? Who's going to be the Nigerian candidate? Who's going to be the Latino candidate? Who's going to be the Latina candidate? And who's going to be the Greek candidate? Yeah, right. Don't forget about the Greeks. John Cass, he's running. Yeah. Uh, oh. So Alex. so square the circle for me to help us do that, in addition to talk about uh, his presentation for the City Club this week of his financial plan for the City of Chicago is former CPS superintendent and mayoral candidate Paul Vallis. Paul, thanks for joining us again. Appreciate it. Well, thanks for ha- thanks for having me. That was a good um, wake up call this morning. <laughs> well, I mean, here you know, here's the thing. I know you want to focus on uh, dollars and cents, and that's super important in the worst governed city in the country, major city. But um, but the racial politics can't be ignored. And I, I want to get your comment on what you heard in that O'Connor uh, 40th Ward candidate forum, and what you heard from Chance the Rapper this week in announcing his endorsement, and just the uh, balkanization of our continued balkanization of Chicago by race and, and other and, you know, gender and orientation and every other identity. Well, you know, that that's a lot to handle in just about five or six minutes. But, you know, at the end of the day, I kind of ignore it all, quite frankly. I mean, you know, if I'm going to be categorized or labeled or whatever, I just uh, my approach is just, so, you know, to identify what the what the real problems are and to offer solid solutions and to go out there and talk to people about them. You know, uh, when I ran the Chicago Public Schools, I, I, you know, I, you know, I didn't experience the racial politics or any racial animosity or, you know, I, um, I've worked in districts that were overwhelmingly minority, overwhelmingly poor. And, uh, you know, I, and I had few, if any, days where I really felt that there was there was balkanization in part because my approach was to be honest and direct with people and offer them real solutions. When I go into the communities, the poorest communities in the city. Uh, I don't get shouted down about um, uh, my support for building a police academy, if not a bigger and a better police academy uh, than the one they have proposed. Uh, people people want to know about uh, why their neighborhoods are not safe enough, why there aren't enough cops, why the, their response to 911 is not quick enough, their high property taxes, their killer fees and fines, and the lead in the water. And, 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 and the fact that, uh, you know, their schools are substandard and if they can't get their kid into a magnet school, somehow they feel they've got to either move out of the city or find some other way to get their kid into a quality school. Well, that, Those yeah. are the things that I hear time and again in yeah. all the communities. And I'll tell you what, that's an answer. You know what that answer is? That's the answer, I think, how most people actually live their lives on a daily basis. There is no racial Absolutely. discord. There is no identity discord, but it gets whipped up by organizations that have an interest in doing it and amplified by a media that has an interest in doing it. And so, I mean, I guess one way to do it is just to uh, uh, lead by example, like you're suggesting. That's a fair answer. Yeah, you know, that's that's right. You just have to plow on. And sometimes uh, people resort to, to those type of things in part because they don't have answers and they don't have solutions. Yeah. Well, you know, I've been the more community. When I go into the community, even when I'm talking to, to some of the biggest advocates, uh, and some of the m- most vocal advocates, you know, I don't even think that I've had a bad day. Now, I'll have plenty of bad days before this campaign is over. But, you know, when I explain to them that, yes, this is why we need a police academy, but you know what? Uh, and this is why we need more cops. But, you know, we also need a stronger infrastructure. We also need better training. We also need to, to have the right sergeant ratios so that we have the right supervision. And we also have to take advantage of the, you know, 9,000 ROTC cadets that we have in the uh, the Chicago public schools, and perhaps they can be the next generation 
uh, police officers and firefighters and paramedics and so that the police department over the years can become more reflective of the community in a natural, organic way. And when I say those type of things, you know, I don't get shouted down. People don't accuse me of, you know, uh, of, you know, being pro-police and anti-community. People listen. People want answers. And I you know about this, people, too, because your wife's a police officer and both of your sons are police officers, correct? Absolutely. Absolutely. And they're great cops. And my boys are wonderful cops. They're wonderful police officers. And, they, and as you know, they're, uh, my, my older son was a combat medic with the 5th Marines. He was in combat. And my younger boy was in the Marine Corps. And they're just extraordinary. They love being police officers. They're, they're, they are, are, are well received by the communities that they serve in. All right. Now let's talk about your, uh, your uh, financial plan, uh, black and white in terms of numbers, not in terms of race. Um, uh, you, uh, your plan includes uh, a two, $250 million in additional property tax increases over the next five years while instituting a cap at uh, 5% or the rate of inflation, whichever is less, uh, uh, as part of that. So, I mean, you know, property tax is sort of a, a bete noir of mine because it's destroying right. and driving people, just running the city, the state, driving people out of here. Uh, $250 million increase in property taxes against the backdrop of the highest property taxes in the nation and in the context of an $8 billion budget, you can achieve savings and restructuring and shrinking of government elsewhere to prevent from the need for more property tax increases? Well, what I did was I looked at three things. First of all, uh, my approach is, and my approach on all of my budgets has been to lay out multi-year budgets, like five-year plans. That's how I turned a billion-dollar structural deficit in Chicago Public Schools into a, a billion dollars in cash, in cash balances when I left, and 13 bond rating upgrades, uh, and and operating in a property tax cap that I've uh, that I've recommended to the city. But basically, what I've said is, look, you know, we're going to have to have some sort of an agenda at the state level that's real and practical that can be phased in over five years. And the things I've articulated are all things that are there and things that are doable. And then I've laid out a whole series of measures to bring spending under control over the next five years so that instead of asking property taxpayers to to, uh, you know, to finance the remaining pension obligations at which are well over a billion dollars because that's how much they're going to have to increase. Uh, uh, that's how much they're going to have to increase funding for pensions because of the state mandates. I've said what I'd like to do is I want to be able to accomplish these other things on the state and on the spending side so that we can, in effect, limit property tax increases to 5% or the rate of inflation, whichever is less. And that's individual increases. So whether you're a homeowner or your business, for that matter, uh, or you're a landlord, you're never going to see your property taxes. The rate of inflation has been about two to three percent. You're never going to see your property taxes grow by more than two or three percent. I think that would be a reasonable approach to take over a five-year period, and 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 that's the way we have to. That's the way we have to approach it. And what I've tried to do, as you can see by my city club speech, is to be very specific in articulating the areas, for example, that I would cut, and 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 some of the um, ideas I have at the state level as well as what I would do on the revenue side. Well, I mean, I appreciate your candor and saying, you know, just telling us like it is, but I am, as a Chicagoan for the past 22 years, I am so sick of paying higher property taxes. I feel like I'm paying for the sins of the politicians, the people that were 
irresponsible in the past, and is there any other way you can do it besides raising our property taxes? Well, yeah, I mean, there is. Going to get in a constitutional amendment, going to get in a constitutional amendment to get um, to get uh, uh, the, to have the ability to negotiate pension co- funding compromises and then have them stick and that have not have the very political Supreme Court overrule them time and time again is the most direct way to do that. You know, so uh, but short of that, you've got to be realistic and you've got to be practical. Look, the, uh, Emmanuel's raised property taxes and, and a combination of other taxes and fees by one point five billion dollars. Uh, you know, and and it's uh, and they're going to be facing another property tax increase of that size. What I'm trying to do is to lay out a strategy to minimize those increases. And I think if you go to taxpayers and you say, look, uh, we, we can solve the city's financial problems while at the same time creating conditions so that we can have enough police officers in the community. We can have the type of economic development investment in all communities so that we can begin to grow the city because the city's declining. The city's lost 17% of its residential property property tax wealth just because of the declining city. I mean, if somebody said we can do this and never rate taxes beyond the rate of inflation or 5%, whichever is less, and again, it's been historically the last 10 years been about 2 to 3%, I think people would consider that to be prudent financial management. But you know, I've never been I've never been one to uh, to present proposals that were not substantive. Uh, well, so I, worst I, case I, scenario, right. that's those are the conditions that I can create. I believe. Well, just in terms of what's realistic, though, you also suggest uh, new revenue from uh, Chicago casino. Mm-hmm. from legalization of uh, recreational marijuana. So dope and gambling is our path to prosperity. Well, the reality is the reality is uh, we're going to have, they're going to legalize cannabis. Yeah. So I think the point that I'm making is if they're going to legalize it, let's make sure we get our fair share of tax revenue. Because, you know, in the past, the state will pretend it's like a lottery. We're going to legalize cannabis, and the money's going to go into the school formula, school yeah. funding formula, it, and, you know, we're going to get that, and it's going to be smoke and mirrors, and it's not going to have an impact whatsoever. So I'm going to say if it is going to be legalized, we might as well get a share of the revenue like they've done in Colorado and other states. And at the end of the day, too, uh, you know, if we have an opportunity to basically get a casino, let's take advantage of it, and let's, let's, uh, let's secure the money so that we can use some of that money to avoid property tax increases. But I'm not offering those as single solutions. What I've done is at the state level – is lay out an agenda of five or six things because I believe we need to go to the state with an agenda. Local governments are always screwed, pardon the expression, when it comes uh, when it comes uh, to state action. The state's always imposing more mandates on local governments yeah, right. while not giving them the revenues to support those mandates. So I'm trying, based on my 12 years' experience in Springfield, I'm trying to articulate what we can get from Springfield so we can minimize the need to raise local property taxes. Uh, with respect to the schools, um, we understand from Econ 101 that competition improves goods and services and lowers costs. So what about increasing competition within CPS to do just that? Well, as you know, you know, I'm, uh, <laughs> if you read the blogs, there are some people who think I invented charter schools. And in New Orleans, uh, we created the nation's first 100% school choice district. So, you know, I've been a supporter of school choice. I've been supportive of traditional public school choice. You know, so I've never been a wallflower on those type of issues. The challenge that they have in the schools, obviously, is, is the fact that they've lost 70,000 students since 
I departed the Chicago Public Schools, I might add. Mm -hmm. And because they they have not made the schools attractive enough, because there are too many substandard schools. And, uh, you know, I think the decline of the schools and the city colleges have lost one third of their population is also having an impact on the city and is also resulting in people voting with their feet, which is moving out of the city. So at the end of the day, you know, I've supported competition. I always have. And I I believe that we can make the schools better. And I think we can make the schools better within the context of the available revenues. Look, we all want more money and we all want the state to fully fund the school aid formula that they just enacted. But at the end of the day, just as I was able to straighten out the school's financial problems when I was a CEO and left the schools with 13 bond, 12 bond rating upgrades, I'm sorry, uh, I'm pretty confident that given the present financial situation, I'm going to be able to perform um, with a, a, um, a, a similar level of success when I become mayor. All right. He is Paul Vallis, a former CEO of CPS, candidate for mayor of Chicago in February. Paul, thanks as always for joining us. Appreciate it. And thanks for, so much for giving me the time, and, and have a great day to you and your listeners. All right. Thank you, thanks, sir. Thanks, Paul. And he joined us on our turnkey.com.